Good evening. Thank you for joining us even on this Labor Day weekend. It is a blessing to be here. It's a blessing to close the night out. As again, as I always say, we rise with the Lord and we get to go down with the Lord. What a blessing it is to gather as a body of Christ. What a blessing it is to be able to stand here, to preach, to give God's word as we close out the series with a culminating fruit of self-control. Um, it's been convicting week studying God's word, convicting week as I look at self-control for myself. Um, it's one that hits right at the heart right away and one in which you're saying, I lack self-control in every single sphere of my life, it seems like. Um, but I pray this evening that it would be encouraging, convicting, and that God would speak his truths to you. Our main passage will be Galatians 5, 16 to 25. But before we read the word of God, let me pray. Oh, great Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you that we can gather as a body of Christ, that we get to hear your word. Lord, may we hunger and thirst for the word of God like no other. May it be like honey to our lips. May it be the thing that we desire each and every day. Lord, would you speak to us this evening? May this not be my words, but your words. May your truth go forth. And Lord, may we point everyone back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to lift this up. We want to praise you and thank you. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Self-control is a theme and the fruit that we have tonight before us. David Mathis defines self-control as the practice of learning to maintain control of the beasts of one's own sinful passions. Again, the practice of learning to maintain control of the beast of one own, one's own sinful passion. And it may be true that self-control, even here, as many of you are sitting here tonight, there are struggles in your life that you have. Things that you're struggling to grasp over and have control over. Things in which each and every single day you're saying to yourself, I've been fighting this for 20 years. Why can't I get any sense of control over this? Things that have hurt you, that have hurt your families, things that have hurt your jobs and your careers. 
And oftentimes you've been told, just say no, and you've got it. The thing is that self-control and the struggles of self-control comes in many different forms. Maybe it's a self-control over alcohol and then my consumption of alcohol. Maybe you're struggling with substance abuse and drugs. Could it be pornography in the, in the deepest of the nights and hidden from everyone? That is your great struggle to gain a grasp over. Maybe it's sexuality, lust, anger, jealousy, laziness, time management. Maybe it's self-control that you struggle with over your tongue. Maybe you curse. Maybe you gossip. Maybe you love to use the Lord's name in vain. Maybe you're quick with your tongue. And this list goes on and on and on. And the adage of just say no, just build enough courage. And just say no. Many of you guys have tried hundreds, if not thousands of times on your own to just say no to this, just to say no to this. And there may be temporary relief, but sooner or later, you're back in that same position again. Seems as though you haven't made any progress, as though nothing has changed. You sit here tonight at the end of your wits, ready to hang up the white flag in your self-control battle. You feel ashamed. You feel like a failure. You feel like one without hope against such struggles of your life. And you're saying, what can I do? What more can I do? I've tried everything. And here's the thing. There is nothing you can do. You see, my encouragement for us is that because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, if we are in Christ, because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we shall have self-control over these desires of the flesh. And when I say that there's nothing you can do, I'm not saying there's nothing that you can do to gain mastery over self-control. I'm saying there's nothing you can do in your own strength, on your own. And for us, I have three main points for us today. The first is that self-control is not willpower. Self-control looks upward, and self-control requires effort. The three main points I have for us. The first is that self-control is not willpower. Because oftentimes when we think of self-control, the first thing that comes to mind is willpower. In other words, whatever the heart desires, we just need to train our minds to say no to this. And that will be enough. Just our minds to say no to this. But Greek philosophers believed in this sort of stoic, sort of just say no mentality in this battle that they saw between the intellect and the body or the rationalities and the desires. And so this idea of just says no comes from this Greek stoicism and philosophy of just put away the emotions itself. Because they saw that the mind and, and the mind itself was a higher faculty than the emotions. They saw that it was greater and better. And so they could stay in the stoicism and say, you've just got to train your mind to be strong enough 
to say no to the desires. But the issue with this view is that it's not the way the Bible understands humanity. We, as God's creation, as God's creatures, as human beings, we are made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God, this includes our minds for sure. It includes our wills and it includes our emotions. And so this idea of self-effort, this idea of willpower is really just a self-focused pursuit that is deemed to fail. Because this idea of just say no doesn't address the heart of the matter, doesn't address what's going on in man. Because we see too often this idea of just say no doesn't work. We see often that as one drives out one master of one thing that they struggle with, another thing creeps in and takes over that place. And so the same demon they've been fighting, though they have thrown this one away, the same demon is still there. The same thing that they struggled with is still there. That's why Ed Welch, he states this, he says that exercise instead of food, a slavish devotion to work instead of adultery, The AA observation of the dry drunk is an illustration of people who have reformed themselves in the sense that they are sober, but the demons that drove them to drink continue to be their masters. It doesn't work. That's why in Galatians 5.17, it talks about, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Being made an image of God means that in the fall, our minds, our wills, and our emotions are fallen. And so for us to depend upon the intellect, for us to depend upon willpower over the emotions, or emotions over the willpower and the intellect is both deceitful that both are no good in a fallen world on its own. Because since the fall of man, our desires have taken over. Our minds are slaves to the desires. And so we are slaves to our lust and desires of the flesh. We act according to our nature. And so what you set your heart on will win. No amount of willpower is ever enough. This idea that I have enough willpower to get over this on my own is not enough. The idea to think that within me, within myself, if I look inward, I can do this. But I think that fails to grasp true self-control. All that does is mask the real demons. All that does is mask the truth of why there's a lack of self-control. It's why just say no is not enough. It's why willpower is not ever enough. It will never be enough. And so if it's not willpower, if there's nothing I can do, then the question becomes, what is it then, Matt? What's our hope? I'm here and I'm struggling. What's my hope, Matt? What do I turn to? Take us to our second point, that self-control looks upward. Self-control looks upward. And I have three main sub-points to this, that that self-control is Christ-powered, self-control is spirit-powered, 
and self-control is joy-powered. Titus 2.11 states for us that for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Our ability to have this fruit of self-control is tied to Christ and his work on the cross for our salvation. So why Jonathan Cruz reminds us that we are not only saved from the sin of lacking self-control, saved from the sin of lacking self-control, but that we are sanctified to be able to show self-control. You see, the issue, that the heart of the matter is that we live in a fallen world. And that, that, that for us to depend upon ourselves is impossible. And this is why self-control, if it's truly self-control, is Christ-powered. Because if you are in Christ, you are not dependent upon yourself. You are connected to the vine who is Christ himself. John 15, 5, for whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing is being connected to the life source. It's being connected to the one, to the one who gives and the one who produces fruit, to the one who is the one that allows nutrients to flow freely to the branches so that fruit can be born. You see, because in the fallen world, man on his own, man is without hope, without Christ. Man is without hope of ever having self-control apart from Christ. He is the one that produces the fruit. He gives it to you. It's not something you achieve. It's not something you develop. It's not something you grow. It's given to you as a believer in Christ. It's like Tim Keller. He says this, that the gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life. It is inaccurate to think that the gospel is what saves non-Christians and then Christians mature by trying hard to live according to biblical principles. It is more accurate to say that we are saved by believing the gospel. And then we are transformed in every part of our mind, minds, hearts, and lives by believing the gospel more and more deeply as life goes on. You see, a Christ-powered self-control is grace-based. It's dependent, and it looks back, and it looks back to what Christ has done for us. It's a reminder that we have done nothing, and that it is Christ who has done everything for us. It identifies us as God's beloved children. It reminds us that we have been given the full rights as God's son. It reminds us that he will never abandon us, that he is a good and faithful father who gives good gifts. He is also the father who is devoted to our sanctification, and that we will be like Christ the firstborn among many brothers. It is in light of this that we can pursue godliness, that we can pursue true self-control over the desires of the flesh. Because it is in salvation that the mind is renewed. It is in salvation that desires in the heart of man is renewed so that man can think rightly, so that man can have the right joy, the right love for Christ, that his desires can be done rightly and well. That apart from the gospel, there is no self-control. 
That apart from the gospel, there is no hope for you to ever develop a fruit of self-control. For you to have any true self-control. And yet, Christians struggle still. Some of you tonight know the gospel. And yet, maybe, the question that needs to be asked is, are you resting in the work of Christ? Or do you look to the gospel and say, Christ has saved me, now I need to go and work. And I need to do this on my own. That now I need to muster it up. It's something, self-control, something that I need to accomplish now. It's something I need to do. It's something that I need to produce. Rather than resting in the gospel and the truth that he has done it for us. That he has empowered us. That we put on Christ. That self-control comes by Christ and Christ alone. At times we lose sight of the gospel for our everyday life. We see it only for our salvation, but it's for every moment, every step that we walk. Do not allow the gospel to only be the ABCs, but allow it to be the A to the Zs of your life. The very thing that which transforms you, the very thing that allows you to have even the fruit of self-control. And yet, we also see that True self-control is spirit-powered. It's not as though the Lord has given you directions and said, all right, now live in such, such, such way and says, figure it out. He says to you, but he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives you the counselor, the paraclete, the one to walk with, the one that you are to walk step and step alongside of, the one who empowers you, guides you, and leads you. You are not alone in this. He hasn't just left you as an orphan without any help. He has given you the greater thing. He has given you the Holy Spirit. And this is a gift of ours. This is why it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's born, it's given to us from the Spirit of God. And so if you are in Christ, you have this fruit. You have this Spirit. I think of like Luke 4, 1. And it speaks about Jesus as he was about to enter the wilderness. And it says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And he returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is and truly is man and God. He has two natures. And that's an encouragement for us that, 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 that we are to be reminded here that in Jesus' humanity, he not only had a reasonable soul, but Jesus himself was also full of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus himself was also dependent upon the Spirit. That it was the Spirit that led him to the wilderness, but it was also the Spirit who sustained him before, during, and after his temptation in the wilderness. That Jesus lived step in step with the Spirit that guided him and led him. He was truly man. And the great news that I hope you're seeing is that that same spirit 
that led and sustained Jesus in the wilderness against the temptations of Satan is the same spirit that has been given to you tonight. Jesus, who has total and perfect self-control, the, great, the, the fruit that we are talking about tonight, that same spirit has been given to you who are struggling with pornography, to you who are struggling with alcoholism, who are struggling with anger and taming your tongue. That spirit has been given to you to put to death the deeds of these things. But Romans 8.13 says, If by this spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's the reminder again that we have not been left alone. It's a reminder again that it's not in our own strength. It's not in our own power. But that we are utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit if we want true and real self-control that will put to death the desires of the flesh. Real self-control is Christ-powered. Real self-control is being led by the Holy Spirit. It is in the life of faith that we walk step in step with the Spirit and are able to resist such temptations. We need to be praying people. We need to be pleading people, asking the Spirit to strengthen us, asking the Spirit to give a a measure of grace and self-control. Too often we grieve the Spirit instead of asking the Spirit to lead us, guide us, to sustain us. We ignore the Spirit and just ask the Christ-powered self-control. We often look to ourselves, even as Christians, to say, I've got this. I can do it. But if self-control is Christ-powered and it's Spirit-powered, it's also joy-powered. Keller talks about how self-control is also a joy-powered. And what he means by this is that it's only by the Spirit of God that the desires of the heart of man can be set rightly upon the Lord Jesus Christ alone. It is by the Spirit of God that our great desire would no longer be our flesh, but rather it is Christ that we seek to glorify. It is Christ that we live for. That our great desire is to live for Him and Him alone and no one else. That our affections is for Christ. That our emotions are for Christ. That our love and our passion is Christ alone. You see, our salvation changes our minds, changes our will so that we can will rightly, changes our mind so we can think rightly by the Spirit, but also changes our affections so that we can love rightly, so that we can uh, pursue worship rightly. You see, we were made to be people of worship. In the fall, we began to worship the wrong things. That has not been lost, but it's been tainted and fallen, so we worship the wrong thing. But it is in our salvation that we can worship rightly. It is in our salvation that we can turn to the Lord rightly again. To be made in the image of God means that we are worshipers. I think of Genesis 39.9 in Joseph's life. And Joseph says, as Potiphar is tempting him, he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And sin against God. Joseph lived this life that wanted to honor no one but the Lord. 
See, his desire to be ethical and morally right wasn't just that, oh, this is just right for the sake of being right. Oh, that's my great friend. So I don't want to do anything or, or anything about my career because if this gets found out, I'll lose my career. It wasn't that sort of ethics and morals that was set upon there, but it was set upon an ethic and a moral that loves God more than anything else in this world. There's this idea that if I sin, I sin against my God who I love. I sin against my God who has rescued me. I sin against my God who's my greatest affection. Against the one that is my greatest desire. See, his desire to be ethically, morally right was always connected to God, was always connected to honor God, was always connected to the worship of, his, of God. His desire was to live for the Lord alone. That's what drove his moral and ethical right. It was a worship issue more than anything else. It was a honoring issue more than anything else. It's a joy-powered self-control, one that finds pleasure in the Lord alone, one that seeks Him above all else. And yet, we need to ask ourselves, could it be that my continual struggle against such sin in my life is due to a lack of love for my Lord? due to a lack of passion for my Lord, due to a lack of worshipfulness towards my God? Have I, have I allowed other passions to overtake my love for the Lord? And is this why I'm not seeing any victory? In our fight for self-control, on our lips daily in prayer should be the request that the Lord would grow our affections and passions for Him. That every movement, that everything that we see, we, we look to the Lord. That every decision that we make, we look to the Lord. That every time temptation comes, we don't just think of ethics and morals in the sense of just ethics and morals, but we look at it as Joseph did and said, I would sin against my God himself. And I do not desire to dishonor him who I live for. You see, because our joy and what brings us most joy often affects areas of self-control in our lives. Think about myself very recently, a couple of years ago. I'm a huge Bucks fan. Love the Bucks. When we got Tom Brady the GOAT, I was super stoked. It was Super Bowl or bust that year. And I remember there were people online, friends and families that were dogging me, would get angry, kept receipts. Uh, and I mean it, I did, I kept receipts. And what I mean by that is that I would screenshot their trash talk and I was gonna wait till the Bucks won the Super Bowl and I was gonna put it on Facebook and say, what's up now? What was it that happened in me? That the great desire of my life in that moment became the Bucks themselves, became Tom Brady the go. That became my great desire in life. So that affected the way in which I couldn't no longer have control over even my emotions. And so it is an idolatry issue that, that is an effect here in self-control because those idolatrous issues will affect your self-control in all areas of your life. And so because I love the Bucks so much, I began to hate my friends and families who were dogging me. I began to get angry at them. I began to get angry whenever the Bucks were losing, especially those first couple games. 
I ultimately didn't post it up. I was very convicted at some point late in the season. Deleted it all. But that drove me to have a lack of self-control over my emotions because the desire itself was the box. That's why people, if your desire for your life, if the greatest desire you have and what brings you joy is your business, yes, you may have success in certain parts of your business. But if it takes whatever it takes to be successful, you'll do whatever it takes. That becomes your life goal. That means I treat my, 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 my workers poorly. That's what I'll do. Watch TikTok of men who are climbing this ladder to be millionaires, and they're saying, I've had to leave those friends behind because they weren't allowing me to reach my goal of being a millionaire. So I've left those friends behind. They were good for a season, but I don't care for them anymore. They held me back. And your whole life is also controlled by that thing in your life that you desire more than anything. What happens when that business begins to flounder? Oftentimes, lack of self-control in terms of medicating with alcohol, medicating with drugs. Oftentimes, a lack of self-control in terms of anger and their emotions towards others. Lack of self-control when it comes, ah, can I just fudge these numbers? Lack of self-control is affected by what is our great desire itself. What is that that brings us most joy? What is that that is at the center of our hearts why self-control true self-control is gospel-centered in that it is Christ-powered spirit-powered and by the spirit that aligns our affection rightly with the Lord but if self-control is not willpower and if self-control looks upward I also want to say that self-control requires spirit-powered effort. Spirit-powered effort. Colossians 1.29 tells us, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Ed Welch says, As the Hebrews were promised the land, but had to take it by force, one town at a time, so we are promised the gift of self-control. Yet, we also must take it by force. It's given, and yet we must take it by force. Self-control is yours. And yet, at the same time, it doesn't just fall down from the sky and somehow a switch has been lifted and now you've mastered self-control. It takes hard work. It takes discipline. But this discipline, this hard work, and this spirit-powered effort is only possible because we do have the Spirit of God. That's the difference between self-effort, willpower, is dependent upon you. But spirit-powered effort is that because we have the Spirit, there is work that we can do. There is effort that we can do, not to earn it, but to work that which we have already. The Spirit is the decisive act that allows you to resist temptations, that allows you to have self-control and mastery over the desires of the flesh. Kevin DeYoung, he tells us that growth in godliness requires exertion on the part of the Christian. 
And to have self-control is the reality that we are in a constant fight against temptation and sin. And we have been called to put it to death. Not just one day, but every day. Not just one hour, but maybe every second of our lives. It's a constant battle. We're called to toil and to work. God has truly made it so that we can walk with self-control against the temptations of the world by his spirit. But he has called for us to do the walking itself also. We walk by the spirit. And I love even Paul's letter to the Corinthians in chapter 9 as he talks about the athletes and the athlete preparing and disciplining and self-control over the body and preparation for the games that they have before them. One of the things I see there is that there is progression, even as we think of the athlete himself, that he prepares for the event that is coming. He prepares for what is before him. Because some of you guys may see this, and you guys say, Matt, you're speaking absolute. It sounds like I shouldn't have any trouble at all, or that it should be quite easy. But the truth and the matter of the fact is that the Lord can, and he does, and he has allowed us to put to death permanently certain sins and desires that we have mastery over. And yet, for many of the sins of our lives, it's a continual lifelong struggle. And you may feel as though I don't see any absolutes in my own life. And yet we know that it's a progression of work, that it is a muscle that works, that self-control is something that we build upon, that's something that gets stronger and stronger, something that we move forward with. And so that in year 10 of that same struggle should not look like year one of that same struggle. So that in year 20, we can look back at year one and see what the Lord has been doing in our lives. It is a continual progression. It is a continual getting stronger. It's a building of the muscle. And self-control is something we build, something we strengthen. But we can't strengthen it if we're not working at it. So what does this work look like? I look again to Christ in the wilderness, and I look to Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. In each of these instances, what do we see Christ do? Turns to the Word of God against Satan. And he prays to the Father. It may seem simplistic. And it may be the answer you always hear, but the word of God and prayer are our weapons when temptation erupts before us. The word is the ordinary means of grace. It means that when temptation comes, it's probably wise to remember scripture. It's probably wise to start speaking scripture to point us back and to remind us of Christ, to know Scripture itself. But not only when it comes, but also in preparation for temptation, we should be in the Word of God. If we believe that the Word of God is the means of grace that strengthens and sustains us, we need to have a regular diet of God's Word if we want to be ready. An athlete does not go to an event malnourished. He prepares rightly. He prepares with the right nutrition. The right nutrition is the word of God in our lives. It's what feeds us. It's what strengthens us. It's not just in the moment. It's before and it's after. It's our everyday meal. It's the steak and potatoes of our lives. It's the protein shake of our lives. It strengthens you and I. That means sitting under the preached word regularly matters. That means the visible word of the sacraments matter. 
that we regularly partake of. But he prays. He prays to the one that sustains. He prays to the one that hears his prayer. He prays to the one that would give a measure of his grace. He prays to the one who is a good father that gives good gifts. To the one that hears his people. Word and prayer is the core of what we need regularly in our lives. If this is an everyday battle, we need to be praying every moment. Pray without ceasing. But I want to say this too. We need brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lord did not save us as individuals, but us as a church, as the body of believers, as a whole. That you are not called to walk this by yourself. That you have been called to walk this with your brothers, sisters in Christ. That as the the true self-control is one in which we are dependent upon Christ-powered self-control, one that is spirit-powered self-control, and one that is joy-powered self-control, we look upwards, but we look outward as well too to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Bring the fiercest battle into light. It's true that all of our temptations can be common, but it's also true that each of us has unique struggles. Some of us battle certain sins, and some of us battle to gain a grasp of a control of certain things. Wherever this battle is for you, waged most vigorously in your life, you need brothers and you need to share it with them. You need sisters and you need to share it with them. You need people who are going to walk with you into battle because you're never meant to do this alone. And to the ones who are struggling today, you're thinking, oh, I've been doing this my whole life. Maybe part of it is you need brothers to walk alongside of you. You need brothers and sisters who are praying for you. You need brothers and sisters who are reminding you, who are rebuking you even. Who are challenging you. We need each other in this. In this long battle self-control. There are other things we could talk about, the things that are very practical. So just one is boundaries. Proverbs 25.8 reminds us that lack of boundaries is actually what enslaves us. I want to say this as I even I talk about just some of these things. The boundary itself is not what empowers you. It's not what helps you. The boundaries itself does not do anything of itself. Because it's a spiritual issue. It's a thing of the flesh, of the mind. But it can be wise to use boundaries. Because you don't want to tempt yourself. Because you don't want to walk into situations that are dangerous and scary. But do not place your trust and hope in the boundaries itself. Though they are wise to use, they are not the thing itself. As I conclude here, I pray that you are encouraged to those who have been struggling and fighting their whole life, to those who are without hope. I pray that if you are in Christ, that you would know that you have the Spirit of God that you can call upon. You have the Word of God that sustains and nourishes you. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who will walk in and battle for you and with you. And because we are filled with the spirits, we shall have self-control over the desires of the flesh.
And we look forward to the end when glorification comes. And we, in that end battle, will no longer have to worry about the desires of those flesh that continually erupts before us. And you continue on to the very end. Let me pray for us. Our great God, we thank you, Lord, that you are gracious and kind to us. Lord, we thank you that you have sent your son to die a death for us, Lord. That we are saved and not only saved, Lord, but that by your son's death and salvation, Lord, that we are made new. That we are filled with the spirit, Lord, and that this struggle with self-control is one in which we can claim victory by the Spirit. Though it may be a long battle ahead, what we do know is that the desires of the flesh and Satan himself is bleeding out and slowly dying already. Lord, may we turn to you in our struggle and our fight for self-control in this life.